0: This amazing book, uh, short book, four chapters, very practical things. The first two chapters are very uh, strong doctrine. The last two chapters, very helpful. Is it on? Do I have it on? Good. Uh, very helpful, practical stuff, starting in, in chapter 3, where it talks about uh, set your affection on things above. Now we're coming down to final instructions to the Christians in Colossians. Uh and I'd like you to stand with me, please, uh, for the reading of God's word in honor of his word. We'll be just looking at two verses in chapter four. Colossians chapter four, verses five and six, please. <clears throat> first Corinthians, I'm sorry, first Colossians chapter four. Just reading verse five and six six when you found it. Let's read it together. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. All right. Father, we just thank you for your word. Really wish we, um, Lord, we had just a greater appreciation for it. I don't know what it would take. I think if we lost our phones, if the electricity was switched off, and um, we had nothing for a couple of weeks, we might actually start to value your Word again like it deserves. But tonight, we've dedicated some time to hear your Word. We've asked, and I ask you now, God, that you would um, just soften our heart toward these three very important and vital instructions to the church at Colossae and to the church in Colleague, Lord, about how to live in this very dark world. God, give us some practical instruction. May we take it Seriously, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, as uh, we're wrapping this things up, Paul is is finishing up the letter, and um, we've just basically got this week and next week, and we'll be done with Colossians. He has covered a lot of ground. He's talked about the deity of Jesus Christ. It is one of the strongest books proving the deity of Jesus Christ, proving he is the Messiah. There, were, there are always nutcases in every church, all right? So look to your left, look to your right, and realize it may be one of those guys. Uh, there are always people who are like, oh, there's no resurrection, which was the problem in the Corinthian church. Oh, um, uh, uh, Jesus wasn't really physically here. All of these strange, they had they must have had YouTube preachers back then in that day as well, I guess. Because you get these weird things. So Paul addresses those things, disproves them, and, and proves that Jesus is the, the, the done deal, the Messiah. He, he taught what to expect of pastors and teachers because there were people always coming along who seemed to be very smooth talkers, who seemed to be able to sway the crowd, to be good, uh, uh, persuasive speakers. And Paul was trying to say, this is what you should expect of the preachers of the Word of God and the teachers. He also emphasizes just how complete we are. There is a, there is a bad element of Christian, Christianity out there. And I say bad, wishing I could make it as the word as bad as it is that teaches that Christians are not complete and that Christians have to do, 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 do. Even though you got saved, you're really not saved until you finally die. Then you'll find out if you really did enough. And that is a damnable heresy. That's a that's putting all of the work on you and not on Christ. It's a wrong thing. Paul fixes that in Colossians. He explains about mortifying the flesh putting it to, uh, uh, into the mortuary and walking away from it and putting on the new man in Christ in your, in, your ha- in your habits and about saturating our lives with the Word of God. You can't just nibble on it. You've got to make it your feast and your day and your life. And then he talks about here in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, he talks about the Christian home and our work life. So then he writes some very final instructions. We talked about last week, just continue in prayer. What a great challenge that is. Uh, chapter four in verse two has three words, continue in prayer. And, and that's a great encouragement. He obviously, he did not have to write to the Colossians and say, hey, start praying. He knew that they were praying. And that, that'd be a great testimony to have. That people would know that you are a prayer-er. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, guys, keep it up. Just, just keep doing it. Just keep praying. Watch while you pray he uses a, a, an older word that we don't think. You know, like we watch TV and we watch the horizon and stuff like this. But who watches when they pray? And it deals with being spiritually sensitive to demonic attack, to to spiritual needs. Somebody may see, somebody may say, uh, uh, such and such is a problem. But you can pray and you can see. There's a deeper issue and you need to pray about that. You need to pray against the spirit behind the problem and so on and so forth. So watch while you pray. Be thankful when you pray. And then he also throws in and says, remember to pray for the people you take advantage of or take for granted. That's the right word. Sometimes we think that the pastor is, is superhuman. He doesn't have problems. He doesn't have spiritual attack. Uh, he doesn't need prayer. We need to pray for everybody else, but we forget to pray for the pastors and the Bible teachers and the missionaries. And Paul says, don't forget about some of us who don't complain, okay? And Paul, just very practical, he talks about continuing in prayer. Now, tonight, we're going to talk about be careful. He finishes up and he says, "And make sure you're careful about how you live because you're being watched. We read there, let me read it again, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now, when we think of the word without, we mean it's like them that are lacking. But the without, in the King James Bible, means them that are outside, there's within, those of us who are here within, and there are those that are without. Does that make sense? So that's the use of the word. So be careful how you live because of those people outside of the church who are watching us. And then he says, redeeming the time. We'll talk about that. And then he finalizes, finally, he finishes off in verse 6, let your speech be all the way with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer every man. It may ask you a question or may attack um, uh, attack what you're doing and how you live. So, first thing, there are three things I want us to look at tonight. The first one is, be wise in the way you live amongst the world around you. What does that mean? It simply means stop living like everyone else. Let's go to Second Corinthians, um, Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And I'll start with Patrick, if you will read 2 Corinthians 6.18, please. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, as if to say, be careful how you live. Now, here, very strong words, Second Corinthians 6.18, Patrick. I said 6.18, sorry, it should be 17, I apologize. No, just 17. Okay, so he says there, there is a, a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. He actually lists some of them. Verse 14 says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That involves marriage. It involves work relationships. Don't be unequally yoked, like if you were to start a business and you were 50-50 partners. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, what fellowship hath righteousness? That's you. With unrighteousness? That's them. What communion hath light with darkness? What concord? What agreement hath Christ with the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? He goes on and on. He says, so come out from among them. Don't be like them. So look at another one. Titus 2.14, Rodel. Titus Uh, 2.14. Yes, sir. All right, so he gave what for us? All right, that's a high cost. To give his own life, he gave himself for us, that he might buy us from from sin, might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. So peculiar means what? I can't hear you. Somebody raise your hand. Special? Special is a good word. What's another word? Different. Andrew? Unique. Unique. I like that. Weird. Weird is is a good thing where you're out of step. You are special. All those things. But you never knew how special it was to be a Christian until you became one. Because before you were a Christian, what did you think of Christians? Weird. Right? Okay, so we, we were saved to be weird. We were saved to step out from the world. Not everything... That you're free to do today is what you ought to do. Would you agree with that statement? Christians seem to think that as long as the government says it's okay, I'm talking about Christians, seem to think that as long as the government says it's okay to do it, it's okay to do it. No, we have a higher law, don't we? We don't just do what everybody, well, live together. Well, you know, it's not illegal for us to live together before we're married. I don't care. The Bible says it is fornication. It is wrong. Amen? Okay, so not everything that you are free to do as a Christian in today's world is right to do. It matters, therefore, how you live now. It matters to your spiritual strength. Most of us are spiritually weak and sickly and blind, because we don't care how we live, go to first Timothy chapter four, Adelina, first Timothy chapter four. you see every Christian in this room should be a proper example of what a believer lives like. It shouldn't just be my job to live right, it should be the responsibility of every Christian in this room i don't care it doesn't matter who you are, you are an example of the believer first Timothy four twelve Okay, don't, any, don't let anybody despise how young you are. Uh, you be an example of the believer. I'll give you a couple of examples that I've used before. When I first got saved, I heard somebody say amen while my pastor Jack was preaching. I, I thought that was normal, so I said amen. You wouldn't believe how many people turned and looked at me. What are you doing? <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to be great, amen, and I haven't stopped. This I listen, uh it 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 should not be that that the norm of Christianity is quiet and uninvolved in church. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and everybody start swaying. But you know, be an example of joy as a believer. Be an example of this is why we come to church, because truth is being said. It, I I, um, uh, I don't know if Nita probably remembers the time that old lady turned around to me and said, Shh. When I said amen they're in church, like, we're saying amen anyway. But the point is, uh, somebody had influenced me, and I said, man, let's do it. And it ought to be true. You don't have to be the pastor to say amen to his own message. And You shouldn't wait to be a pastor before you get excited about the word of God. So every Christian in this room ought to be an example. Look at all the ways you should be an example in the words that you say, in the conversation, the way you live. In the way you love, charity, in spirit, that's your attitude, in faith, and in purity. The world ought to look at you and go, weird. uh, 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 He always goes on a date with her and never brings her home. Amen. Amen. So, we need to do three things that come out of this. He says, number one, and I'll put three, uh, three words on it there back there in Colossians. Let me see if I can find my verse here. Colossians 4 and verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. When he says walk in wisdom, I think of three things. Number one, be careful what you do. Make sure what you're doing is the right thing to do. Don't get comfortable in sinful activities that you see other Christians doing these days. That's one of the dangers of YouTube, but it is a reality. It's one of the dangers of different kinds of churches, and I believe in freedom, but Christians now watch. I'm talking about Bible-leaving Christians who got saved under the preaching of a clear gospel. And they get around and they watch other Christians and they're all having fun drinking. And they're all having fun. And they've got, they've got uh, uh, different churches have uh, different things going on. And they go, well, I guess it's okay because I see other Christians do it. That's not why it's okay. That's not why. You need to be careful. You need to look and go, wait a minute. I don't see that. That's not in the Bible. That's a bit too extreme. Be careful what you're doing. Be careful that what everybody else is doing is the right thing. I find Christians are dropping out, are dropping just about every standard today. They drop their standard on how they dress. You know what? 25 years ago when I and my wife got here, most every lady wore a dress. That's gone. Now You can get upset at me if you want. But let me just tell you, biblical standards have been dropped in churches. And God never said, okay, let's go, let it go, whatever you want to do, let it go, let it go. Let the past go. It's not what the Bible is there for. Christians are dropping away from the Bible, from prayer, from soul winning, from tithing, and from loving God. And they're barely at church. And I feel like, what am I going to have to do? Well, I can't do anything. I, I wait for the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit can't get you, don't believe that I can. Basically, Christians are no different from anyone else around. If you saw a Christian and the stuff they wear on their T-shirts and uh, the way they live and the way they talk and where they go and what they watch, you'd go, I can't tell if they're saved or lost. Um, be careful. I'll show you how, how particular this is because it's terrifying. Matthew chapter 12 and Josiah. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. Twelve thirty six. But I thank you for every idle word that they shall speak, they shall give So, oh, what should I be careful of? Wow, that's 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 a tall order. That's a lot of work to be careful about what I say. If it's important for me to be careful about what I say, it's careful what I watch, it's careful where I go. So, be careful that it's the right thing to do. Now, don't you know, put yourself under a noose and under a, a, a yoke of bondage that you just, I can't do anything. No, 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 no. But wow, we've gone so far that we don't care what we do. We need to get to the place where we say, you know what, I thought about it. I shouldn't do that. I won't do that. I'm not going to respond that way. Secondly, be prudent as you do things, which means be circumspect, walking circumspectly. Proverbs two three. you mean. Proverbs twenty two. In verse 3, circumspect or prudent. Okay, so a prudent man actually looks at what he... When I was a kid... I had friends, little F, <laughs> dangerous friends, who always dared me to do stupid, dangerous, deadly things. Come on, Craig, jump off the roof. Backwards. Okay. <laughs> and I did. Um, okay, Craig, uh, jump this ravine on your little bike. So they built a, f- a little ramp. And in, that, in our day, so I'm dating myself, we had a guy called Evil Knievel. Some of you have no idea who that was. But Evel Knievel tried to jump in his motorcycle, uh, all kinds of gorges and, and ravines and things. So somebody said, Craig, you do that. So I said, okay. And they dare me to do it, so I would try and do it. Did I think about I would die? No. Did I think about maybe that board will slip while I'm riding on top of it, jumping that? Did I think that on the other side that they will bend the for, the, the, uh, the front wheel of my bike and I will go through the... Um, uh, the handlebars. Did I think about the thing? No. What did I do? You just did it. That's not being prudent. You understand what I'm saying? Is not being circumspect, which means looking in all directions, going, "Have I thought this thing through?" And in the Christian life, I might mean, just be more practical. You need a job, so you just go. Oh, I don't want to apply for a job, and then you find out that job has you working. Somebody you go to Foss and Foss says, oh, we're hiring you out to a pub. Well, it's a job. Think about it. Think about it. A pub is not a place for a Christian to work. Amen? Oh, <clears throat> uh, I need a job, but they only work you on Saturdays and Sundays. Is that the job you should go to? No. Now, you may have to start a job where you're working through the week and they may work you on Sundays for a while, but there's a hope of getting off on Sundays. But if they only worked you on Saturday, Sunday, you go, you know, I thought about this thing. I'll keep looking. Amen? So there's being circumspect, being prudent as you do things. I don't find Christians doing that. Oh, I I uh, I I I met her, and I tell you what, she's she's the right one. She's saved. No, but I, I believe she will be. Circumspect, circumspect, circumspect. Don't marry somebody who's not saved. Be aware of. You know what? I better wait. Okay. You may think you're in love. But if you think this thing through, you're now entering into bondage. Third thing. Be persistent in living godly. Don't stop. When I first got saved, it was all out. I was a nutcase for Jesus. I was, uh, they had, they had t-shirts back then. I'm a nut. I've always wanted to reproduce them. I'm a nut. And on the back it says screwed on the right bolt. And it was true. I, I could not get enough of being Sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. I was I, When my pastor said, I, I said, I believe God's called me to be a missionary. And he says, oh, I don't think so. And I went, pastor, I, I really believe. It. Okay, we'll see, we'll see, all right? And so when when I said, what do I do first? He says, well, you go to Bible college. I said, good, what's that? I had no idea what a Bible college was. He says, well, it's about uh, 600 miles away is the one I recommend you to go to. So I wrote him and they accepted me. I had never been there. I was saved one year. I packed up all of my earthly belongings, two boxes, (laughs) put them in the back seat of the car, and I drove 12 hours to Bible college. When I got there, never seen it before, I got there, got out of the car, and I thought I was in heaven. (laughs) Just driving around, walking around. I said, this is awesome. A whole place. There are about 600 students there, and they all love Jesus. I thought I was in heaven. You know what? I need to stay that way still to this day. You understand what I'm saying? I wanted to find the right woman. That's why it took years. <laughs> I wanted to, to 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 make sure I stayed right. I served God. There was uh, most Sundays started at eight a.m. Getting down to church, getting on a bus. We had four buses in our church, and I was a bus captain, which means I drove the bus. I still am driving the bus. I was, that means I drove the bus to go pick up kids. And it took an hour and a half to pick up all the kids all over out in the middle of the country of parents who stayed in bed, and they said, here, take my kids, get them out of here. We picked them up for Sunday school. And we picked up kids, and I drove for an hour and a half, got to church just in time for Sunday school starting. I helped teach Sunday school, then was in church, and then when church was over, we piled all those kids back into the bus and took an hour and a half to take them all home. And then as soon as I got home, I had a sandwich. We got back to the Bible college. We had a sandwich. And we sit there, and Nita and I would laugh, and we go, we're starving, because we missed dinner at the cafeteria. But we go, but it's awesome. It's serving God. And then within an hour, we were back in the bus picking up a smaller group of kids that would come again Sunday night. And so from from. 8 a.m. until sometime around 8 p.m. It was just nonstop, and I never regretted a second. Listen, if you're going to claim to be living for God, stay living for God. Do not let off the gas pedal. Don't slow down. Stay persistent in living Godly. You started this thing saying, I'm going to do right, stay doing right, amen? That's what Paul's saying to those Christians. He's saying his final goodbyes. He never gets to Colossae. He never gets to meet these people. He says, stay the course. Secondly, he uses a phrase that I really like. It's called, Oh, let me see this. Here we go, here we go, here we go. True or false? Modern Christianity is living according to the flow around us instead of according to the influence of the Holy Spirit within us. True or false? Isn't that true? If we were truly living by the influence of the Holy Spirit in us, as a block, we would be going against the flow. Does that make sense? Let's, let's see if we can see that happening in our lives. Secondly, redeem the time. What a powerful statement. Here's what it means. I need to um, uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, Dean. Ephesians five 16, Let's see. Paul, kind of, Colossians and Ephesians are very similar. Evidently, he's, he's writing to two different uh, churches, and he's got the same... Uh, burdens and worries on his heart about the Christians there. But Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. It starts in verse 15 if you won't mind. 15 and 16. <clears throat> okay, so he uses that phrase redeeming the time, which simply means make up for lost time and don't lose anymore. In other words, buy back all the time that you can to do what we should do for Christ. Redeem is a, is a, is a money word. It's if you ever, if you ever have the privilege of buying a house, you are getting usually a mortgage for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long they can send it out there. And you are, you, very few people have 180,000 or 250,000 euros in their pocket to be able to buy a house. So you get a mortgage. And from that moment that you sign that, that uh, uh, legal document, you begin to pay and redeem your house until one day where you make the final payment and it's done. That's called redeeming. Now, my life is something that I should be... I can't redeem my life. My soul is redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But my time, I can. So it means to pay whatever it takes to get back right in the middle of the will of God. It means to work harder at, at catching up where the devil has slowed you down. See, there are people in this room tonight who are slipping away from a closeness with God, and they're too proud to get back the will of God. They're watching the race, and, and Christians are going ahead, and they're kind of just slowing down. Oh, I don't want to put off the effort anymore. Every time I read my Bible, it is double the effort. As we see the day approaching, we ought to be encouraging the more. As we, as we go through the darker times, we should be shining how? Brighter, amen. So, redeem the time means don't slow down and just let the race get along. I don't care how far back you are. Again, I'll use my, my, uh, own, uh, life story. When I got saved and I went off to Bible college, I, I didn't know, uh, I didn't know a lot of Bible. I was just saved one year. So I'm in Bible college and I had a friend um uh Lowell, lowell Thompson now he 's with the Lord now and uh, but lowell thompson greatest spiritual giant I ever met and and i I hung around with him, I prayed with him, I learned from him, he was kind of a neat mentor in my life and and as I sat there and I listened to him talk about his his uh, uh just the, the the victories in his life and things that he had been through, and he just encouraged me about. Standing and doing right and believing the King James Bible, so on and so forth, everything. And I looked at him and I said, Oh, I wish I was as spiritual as you. He looked at me. He says, there's a high cost. There's a high cost. You'll lose friends. You'll lose sleep because you're putting prayer first. You'll, you'll lose weight because you'll spend time praying instead of eating. You see the point? And you see, there is a cost if I'm ever going to make up for all the lost time that I live. I was saved when I was 17. And that was when I started to live for God. And the 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 the, the burden on my heart was, I've missed 16 years of my life. Whatever there was a time when I should have started living for God, I missed it. And it wasn't until I was 17 when I got started in the race and I wanted to make up for lost time. One of the great days of my life was when I hit the, the mark where I was 34 years old, and I was saved as long as I had been lost. And every day after that has been gravy on top, It's been cream on the top. Yes, the devil had me 17 years, now God's got me 18, amen. So this is redeeming the time. Don't lose any more time. You would agree if we had a family conference and I'd say, you know what, gentlemen, don't waste any more time fighting and arguing with your wife. Make up and, and and catch up. And don't lose any more time with that woman because you don't know how much longer you've got with her. If we had a family conference and I'd say, uh, your kids are more important than your than your than your work, than your than your job, than your money, than anything. Make up for lost time with your kids. Would everybody amend that? See, we know that there are things that are valuable to lose some things and to catch up others. And Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil. They're against us. Pay what you have to, to get back in the middle of the will of God and stay there. Let me ask you a question. How long are you saved? Some people are baby Christians. A baby is a baby for maybe a few years. Okay, Then you get to that place where I know we call them teenagers, but the Bible calls them young men, young adults. But that's a how many years you've been saved? Are you in your teenage years now? And then there are men and women, fathers and mothers. They're, they're mature, they're adults. How long are you saved? If you were to put yourself on that thing in years, you might say, Well, I'm saved fifteen years. Okay, maybe you're an older teenager. But how do you act? You still act like a baby? How long are you going to stay a baby? How long are you going to still suck your thumb when things don't go your way? How long are you going to constantly nitpick and find fault like a baby does? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, please. Three, and then verses one, two, and three. All right, walk as men instead of as Christian men. Walk as natural men. So, can you imagine? Uh Marcus comes home, worked all night, and he sits down, and you go, How are you, Marcus? Are you a good little boy? Are you hungry? Where's Marcus over there? I'm not going to look at you while I'm doing this because it would be very embarrassing. And here's Paul going, Would you like a spoon of porridge? Oh, yes. Wow. Time for Marcus to get his own food, amen? Cut his own meat to his own food, amen? There he is. Listen, Paul says, I could not feed you with anything but milk. And that's embarrassing for a parent to feed a a grown adult baby food, amen? So, how long are you saved? How long are you going to stay a Christian? A Christian baby? How long are you going to stay a Christian teenager? Say, you know what, I'm insane. You know, um... Uh, A lot of good examples, King Saul facing Goliath there, and everybody uh, terrified of of facing the Philistine army, and uh, little David. David's 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. David comes up and says, I'll take him on. You know what Saul says? Saul says, you're just a kid. He's a man of war from his youth. You can't have him. You know what God says? When God starts talking about David, he says, I found me a man after my own heart, even though he was a young teenager. So you don't have to be saved 37 years before you start acting like a man or a woman. You can start acting like it whenever you choose. So the the redeeming the time means, you know what, others may be running at a certain pace. Amen. Others may be getting way ahead. I'm going to set my course and I'm going to run flat out because... I want to win something with my life. I don't want to be a loser like the world wants me to think. The more time you lose, the more more it may cost to get you back into the race. So it is right. And somebody says, well, you're putting pressure on Christians. Yes, listen, when he says redeem the time, he means make up for lost time. They may be all ahead of this one runner, but everybody stands up and cheers the runner who may be behind, and then he puts out that extra emphasis, the last hundred meters, and he makes an all-out effort to cross that line first. Amen? We need some Christians who decide, you know what? I've been sitting in the back, in the back, in the back. I've been, I've been pulling back. I've been sitting back further and further. I've slowed down on my Bible reading. I don't go solo anymore. But you know what? That book tells me I need to redeem the time and all of a sudden gets out of that seat and grabs some tracks and starts soul winning again, starts reading a 10 chapters a day, starts being at church every service. You know what they're doing? They're redeeming the time. They're making up for lost time. You think Christians need to do that again today? Amen. Last point. Be gracious in your speech. Back there in Colossians 4, 6. Colossians 4, 6, Paul throws this in. And I guess it was a problem back then like it is today. He wanted to remind them to have grace speech. Colossians 4 in verse 6 says, Let your speech be sometimes with grace. Is that what it says? Always with grace. Seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer every man. So, what an important commandment to the Christian. Speak gracious words very easy to be judgmental and cutting in your words. Grace speech is friendly, kind, helpful. They're what we call overlooking words. Somebody may say something and you just overlook that and you just go ahead and be kind back. Amen? Grace speech. What kind of words do we use when we're speaking? Sometimes I think a lot of us are embarrassed to say that we use harsh words, cutting words, disrespectful words, Hurtful words, condemning words. Do you even care about what your words are doing to people around you? You should. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine. Mona, Ephesians four twenty-nine. Wow, that's kind of cool. Now, how much of my communication, of my words, am I allowed to be wrong, according to that verse? Ouch. No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, does that mean I don't think it? (laughs) It's in there, but I say, no, I'm not going to let it come out of my mouth. I have to stop it at the gate. But you want to minister, you want to give grace unto the hearer. Let's go back to Proverbs eighteen twenty-one, Gavin. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. <clears throat> I'll show you what's in the power just of words. You think they're just words. Well, God says they're more than that. Proverbs 18 and verse 21, Gavin. All right, so what is in the power of this little member of my body? Death and life. I can actually say something that can cause somebody to want to commit suicide. And I can turn around and say something that make them want to go, thank you, I think I want to live. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. i got to choose how I use it. I'll show you another verse, Luke 4. Uh let's see. Um, Nathaniel there, uh, Nathaniel Lawser. Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. Speaking of Jesus... So they're stunned because Joseph was what kind of a tradesman? He was a carpenter. Carpenters normally didn't teach their children to be orators or to be speakers or to be able to con- to conduct themselves like like powerful leaders. And yet, when Jesus was was speaking, they says, "Man, it's like it's the most gracious words. It's like he knew what I needed to hear." And they were amazed. And he says, he's just a carpenter's son. Isn't that cool? Somebody may look at you and go, and really, this would be a great testimony thing. Somebody looks and says, When you speak, it just ministers to me. The gracious words that proceed, we've got to be careful. Paul uh, Paul saying, Have only gracious speech come out of our mouth. One, okay, that's it. So here's the test. All right? You ready for a test? Terrifying test. Okay, here it is. Ask someone who knows you what your speech is like. Uh Uh-oh. Is it gracious? Is it hurtful? You might be surprised and very ashamed. So, speak. Our commandment is speak always with grace. And guess what that means? That means pretty well all the time. (laughs) We should generally speak to each other and even to the lost with grace. But he does throw in one thing. He does say, use a pinch of salt. Now, I don't know if you know this, but salt is a seasoning. Anybody know that? Salt is not something you take by the spoonful. amen. Because when you have it in that quantity, you're going to die. (laughs) And so will the people who are around you, if that's all they get from you. Most people want to talk like John the Baptist. Most Christians do. Oh generation of vipers, who had warned you to flee from the wrath to come. That's how, that's how people think Christians talk. But most people have it reversed. Major on grace seasoned with salt. Amen. There is a time to rebuke in love. There is a time. Sometime my wife was telling me this morning you were a little rough. I know, I know, I know. And you know that's not my desire, but there are some times when I need to shake up this current generation and wake up this church about creeping sin. So if you think that I'm upset, realize one of these days you'll be facing with a God who's very upset. So I don't take it, I'm not trying to be personal with anybody or angry at anybody or whatever. But there is some time when you bring the salt out, amen? Because sugar Sugar stick preaching. You ever heard that phrase? It's like a, like, uh, what's that rock, uh, the, um, what's those candies? They used to be called, huh? Lollipops, yeah, but candy rock. Is that right? Huh? Rock candy. And, well, look, you can get these lollies and you get these candy canes and they're just solid sugar, aren't they? That's what most churches are. God says, no, 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 no. That's, that's sweetener. That's not even, God doesn't even say be sweet in your preaching. He says, speak the truth in love and then sprinkle some salt on it. Make sure they go, wow, okay, yeah, amen. (laughs) Use a pinch of salt. It is important that we not just have biblical answers, but we know how to give biblical answers and we give it in love and we give it with compassion. We give it with grace. And sometimes we've got to just say, you know what? You're the one that Jesus died for. That's what made the difference to me when Maureen Smith was telling me the gospel and she said, and Craig, you're going to hell. She got my attention, man. Because all of a sudden it was personal. She threw that salt there on the, on the dinner. (laughs) And I'm eating it and I'm going, it's all about, it's all about my sin now. So, as a Christian, we need to be control of our mouth and use our tongues and our words as Christians, and not like everybody else. Now, next week we're going to learn how Paul accomplished much as part of a great team and not on his own. Everywhere you find Paul going, he's always got people he's dealing with and helping uh, or working with to be able to start churches and things. We're going to see a great team effort here as we finish up as he sends his greetings to people who've been part of his ministry. But tonight I'm going to ask you a few questions. Let's see if you were paying attention. First question, <clears throat> the Christian life is sometimes referred to as a race, but most of the time, did you pay attention to the word? Uh, it's a verb in chapter 4, verse 5. Most of the time, the, the Christian life is described in the Bible as a what? Very. As a walk. Isn't that cool? I'm glad it's not always compared to a race, because a race, you get worn out. But a walk, anybody can do. Walk circumspectly. See then that you walk the right way. Number two, how are we to live now that we're saved? It's a key word. It it is a descriptive word. How? It starts out with a W, another W. How are we supposed to live? Uh, Close. Close, what are we going to say? No, not worthy. Just do the Bible word there in verse 5. Wise. Walk wisely, carefully. Three. How does a Christian view their life, their time? How do they view time? I know, but if I'm redeeming it, well, how do I? How am I viewing it? It's not just a gift. Important is halfway there. Yes, time is like. It's not something you can just let slip by. It's like a race. If you just stand there, and the guy goes, on your mark, get set, go! And everybody takes off, you're going, I can get started when I want to. No! The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to catch up. Do you understand? Time is fleeting. You must just double your efforts if you're going to win anything in the Christian life. Four. How mature... Now, don't you don't have to answer this, but you ought to answer it rhetorically in your own heart. How mature are you in the Lord? Are you still a Christian baby? Some people are supposed to be babies. Some people are at different levels of maturity. That's the truth. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're mature. How mature are you? That'd be terrifying if you had to answer that. It'd be terrifying if somebody else answered it. Let me tell you what you are. Yeah. <laughs> what is in the power of the tongue? Don't answer that, Gavin. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You can minister grace to a hearer, or you can hurt them, or they don't want to live. Mm. The power of the tongue. What kind of speech should come out of our mouths? Mm? Come on, raise your hand. Gracious speech. Kind words. Is it okay to season our words now and then with salt? Yes or no? Yeah. Don't be too afraid to sometime hurt somebody with the truth. In the olden days, and really, when I grew up, I loved when I grew up because when I grew up, all medicines hurt, all medicines stung. If 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 you know, there were no sugar-tasting mouthwashes when I was growing up. If you had a mouthwash, you swish it, and it's burning my mouth. And when you had a when you had a cut, and Mom put on the back teen and sprayed it on there, psh, <gasps> Mom would say, "You know it's working," <laughs> because it was stinging. You know, when we give the truth, sometimes we got to give what stings, and you'll see it working when they start squirming, <laughs> and you're using a little bit of salt. Amen. All right, Colossus is real practical, isn't it? Talking about stuff, we go, oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Amen. Father, we bow before you, thanking you for some practical reminders to us in this day and age of, of things we've got to focus on. we got to focus on the amount of time that we're losing. The world is marching to hell faster than ever. Society is making decisions without any hope, without God, without truth. And we're barely coming to church father we've forgotten how to talk've forgotten what it's like to have gracious words we we have not developed the ability to minister grace to our hearers Lord our our um, our life is not being lived wisely so here's our reminder thank you for the word of God tonight Thank you that Paul remembered these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind this church in Colossae, hey, don't forget about these things. And it ended up in our lap tonight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.